Ludicrous speed. <laughs> you know, speaking of ludicrous speed, I introduced my boys to Spaceballs, and they laughed at that scene. And then later on, my son made a comment. He was like, yeah, that's funny, but Ludicrous doesn't really rap that fast. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I would have cried. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 5 of iFreaks. This week on our panel we have Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. Pete Hodgson. Buenos dias. Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake City. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about Xcode and just tips and tricks. Xcode, everybody's favorite IDE, right? Yeah. We can call it the Stockholm Syndrome episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe we should get into that first. I mean, what are the issues with Xcode? (laughs) It looks great. It has uh, tab completion and stuff in it. Yeah, I, I think when Xcode works well, I like it a lot. But unfortunately, it's a little bit finicky. It's gotten a whole lot better. But unfortunately, the pace in which it improves is not quite uh, what I would prefer. Uh, so one of the things that I uh, used to struggle with a long time ago is syntax highlighting and code completion for libraries that you pull in. And uh, like the indexing of your code would get screwed up. And uh, you could tell that this was happening because the it was like syntax highlighting would just stop coloring your methods. And so you'd be like, oh, what's happening? And eventually they fixed those bugs. And, uh, you know, I sort of forgot about this issue. And it recently cropped up again in one of my projects. And I uh, have no idea what the issue is. It's usually some combination of digging into the uh, header search paths to make sure that that is pointing to what it's supposed to be and, you know, some other things like that. But uh, yeah, it's just, when it works, it's pretty good. And when it breaks down, which happens a little bit too often, you tend to have to resort to finding your drive data folder and deleting it, which happened so often in the past few years that people have resorted to uh, either writing a script that will delete your drive data directory in one go. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, there's even an Xcode plugin that will put a little button in your toolbar to delete it. So... <laughs> Uh, having a button in your toolbar to delete an indexing folder is kind of a sign that Xcode perhaps should be a little bit more stable. <laughs> well, you would think that it would be, I mean, considering how many people out there write applications in it for I- iOS or Mac OS. Yeah, and like, Apple uses it themselves, so. I wonder how many people, like, there's definitely a lot of people using it. I wonder how many people at Apple actually work on Xcode full-time. You can kind of get a sense of it from going to the labs, but I don't think it's that many. No, I think all their teams are pretty small. Yeah, that's true, I guess. So My, so it's Visual Studio for the Mac? Is that what you're saying? I don't, you know, Visual Studio gets a bad rap, but I actually like Visual Studio. The plugin system in Visual Studio is superior to Xcode, and so you can have plugins like ReSharper or uh, some of the other ones. I was a big ReSharper fan, and so when I came to Xcode, I was like, you know what, there are like there's some refactoring tools that are built into Xcode, but they're horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so bad that like I'm surprised that anybody ever even goes to that menu and uses them. And every time I, I reach for that menu and say, you know what, I should do refactor method here, I regret it almost every time I do it because it yeah. just takes longer than it would take for me to copy and paste and write the new method. Um, yeah. And also, it like I was recently showing this to somebody, I did a refactor method and it got the parameters wrong. And I understood why it got the parameters wrong, but there was nothing I could do about it. Like basically it takes the context of what you've selected and says what variables do I need declared or what variables do I depend on at this selection scope and so I need to pass those in and what variables that I have inside of here are used later in this method scope and those need to be return values and occasionally it gets a little bit confused so I can understand that but uh, once I do the selection and refactor method it takes me into a brand new window which takes a while to show me a diff of what it's going to do and then it also asks me if I want to enable snapshots. And of course, I use Git, so why would I ever want this feature? <laughs> so I say, no, I don't want snapshots ever. And so then it takes a second to record that setting. And then I click Finish, and then it takes a really long time, like seconds, to complete this operation, which should be lightning fast. And then for whatever reason, it scrolls my current focus to the bottom of the file. So I have no idea where in the file I am anymore. And this just like... That's just refactor method. That's like the easiest refactoring on the planet. And so uh, when you're faced with Xcode sort of having really, really horrible refactorings and you look at something like ReSharper, which is basically built around refactorings, it sort of leaves a lot of room for improvement. 
And so, yeah, I, I wish Xcode's plugin system was a little bit more robust so we could have things like that. Yeah. Well, the alternative is I wish that Xcode could be teased apart a little bit so that Interface Builder was a separate thing and then you could use a different IDE but still use Interface Builder. Didn't it used to be a separate thing? It did, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, I remember I when I, I first don't necessarily started using mind, it. Yeah, I don't necessarily mind it being a, a part of this app uh, because you get the, the control drag into yeah. the assistant editor is pretty handy if you're on a big monitor. It would be Chuck, good to have you, the option though, you know, like because just because I, I I've tried a few times to get into using app code rather than Xcode. And the mm-hmm. thing that always happens with me is I'll be using app code and, you know, actually using refactoring tools and having a grand old time. And then uh, I need to, to modify a nib. So I'll go and I'll you know, double click on it in app code and it'll pop open in Xcode because that's the only way that you can you can do that. And then I'll like go back to editing the file and then like five minutes later I'm like, oh I'm back in Xcode again by accident because I just kind of automatically just stuck in Xcode. <laughs> and it just happens to me over and over again and uh, I keep on like not breaking the habit. Xcode's yeah. a bad habit I want to break. I filed a bug uh, with app code. I, I really liked it. However it it was a little bit too much friction for me to switch to. Yeah. Um, but I felt right at home with the resharper key bindings and like sure. the the possibilities. Like one of the things I think is really like let's say I want to say, I don't know, table view dot delegate equals self. And then it says, Hey, do you want to make this class conform to the UI table view delegate protocol? And you just hit Alt Enter yeah. and it will do it for you. And it doesn't take you anywhere away from where you are right now. It just makes the change. And then later on I say something like, oh I don't know, uh, something in a different framework like uh, AV audio player. And then it's like, hey, would you like to import this framework and uh, include the header at the top? And you're like, yes, please. And it'll just do it for you. Like, you know, it's 2013. I don't understand why Xcode doesn't uh, help us with these things. Right. I think that's that's the thing as well is I think for a lot of kind of people that have been using Xcode for a while and haven't kind of come in from a different technology or have come in from a dynamic language, more dynamic language like Ruby or JavaScript or whatever, they don't realize like how powerful an IDE can be uh, when it has, you know, all of the information to hand. And Objective C is static enough that it can knows it knows what you're trying to do, and it can do all that crazy alt enter stuff that that people uh, love from IntelliJ and uh, ReSharper and all that. So I don't know. I think it's it's kind of a shame that App Code hasn't hasn't taken off more than more than just being a little kind of a, a curiosity. That's what it seems like to me. It's kind of not that many people are using it uh, full time. I filed a bug with them and asked if at any point in time would, did they have plans to make it an Xcode plugin. And mm-hmm. the response was kind of, uh, it wasn't direct, but it was like, uh, app code is built on, you know, years and years of, yeah. uh, of uh, foundational work done by IntelliJ and ReSharper that's written in Java. So likely not being <laughs> an Xcode plugin. Uh, mm-hmm. And that said, the Xcode plugin system, from what I understand, is, is uh, super basic. And uh, in order to do something like, uh, like for instance, I use XVim, which gives me Vim key bindings in Xcode, which is, uh, it's okay. It's, I like running with it. I'd rather run with it with than without it. But it, it's got a, some quirks and it has to draw the little command window at the bottom of your code surface, uh, like Vim does. So when you hit like colon W to write a file, um, it has to show you what you're typing. And I looked at the source code to see how they actually did that. And it's really nasty. It dives into Xcode subviews and finds the one it's looking <laughs> for that is the code surface and, and resizes it and applies yeah. its own view on top of it. And, you know, that's probably going to break at some point oh, and somebody's wow. going to have to yeah. go in and, and fix it. And there's just, as far as I know, there's no easy way to hook into the AST of, of Xcode, uh, of like the source that you're writing. So I don't know how uh, easy it would be to, to get your own refactoring tool like as a plugin, I finished. I think like I remember hearing. I I think that's. I I totally agree. But I also remember like hearing some of the crazy stuff that people used to ha- used to do with Visual Studio to get you know things like ReSharper to to do its thing. And I think Visual Studio as an you know as an example has has kind of really opened up since then. But initially they were doing all sorts of crazy hacks, and they still do. Like I, actually, I was just listening to a podcast about the guy that does a Vim plugin for Visual Studio, and he was kind of describing similar hacks that he has to do in order to get the command thing to show up. No, so. I wonder if just Visual Studio's popularity is what made it right. um, possible right. for them to do 
Ray Sharper and other things on, on Visual Studio. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to a richer plugin ecosystem for Xcode. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to get into some of the tips and tricks. We talked about some of the problems with Xcode. What are some of the things that you guys do that make it easier for you to deal with Xcode or some of the things that you like, some of the uh, common things you do with Xcode? I'd say definitely learn the keyboard shortcuts because there's a whole lot of them and they all, they're all they pretty well thought out. So they build on each other. So for instance, Command-0 will expand or collapse the uh, the left-hand navigator. And if you add Alt to that, so Command-Alt-0, it will do the right side. So basically when you add Alt to any command, it generally works on the other editor, the assistant, either the assistant editor or the, what do you call this, navigator, the inspectors on the right-hand side. So you can do a whole lot of things just by using a keyboard. Uh, you can navigate around. Another one I like is Control-6 will open up a little pop-up window that shows you all of the methods in your class you're working on. And you can just start typing uh, to autocomplete those methods. So if you want to go straight to a method, you can do that. And I guess it would be pretty boring to list out every <laughs> keyboard shortcut I ever use, but uh, I would just say take the time and learn it. When you're faced with something that you know is possible with a keyboard shortcut, but you don't know what it is, go f research it and then do it a few times to sort of commit it to muscle memory. And eventually those things take over and you're on autopilot. For me, my favorite one is uh, Command-Shift-O to uh, like uh, open quickly. So if I want to go to a different class, you just hit Command-Shift-O and start typing. So it's kind of like Command-T in Sublime, I guess. Is it Command-Shift-O? Is that right? Yes. It's like what, this is doing keyboard shortcuts is always tricky <laughs> because it's like, it's like muscle memory so much that I actually have to press the keys to find out what the keys are. Yep. Is there a good list of, uh, of keyboard shortcuts out there that people can reference? Because I've, I've just been Googling for the last minute or two, and the most recent one I can find is still from, like, March of 2011. So I'm sure it's still yeah, up to date. I, that's still, yeah, that's still <laughs> up to date. Another thing you can do is, like, if you're looking, like, I'm in Xcode right now, and I click on uh, Navigate, and uh, the Navigate menu, and you see all of the, uh, the keyboard shortcuts for these various menu items. And then if you hold Option while you're looking at the menu, it changes the menu items to reflect what would happen if you pushed option and clicked on that same shortcut. So for instance, uh, go back, like go back to the previous file you were on is control command left arrow. And if you add option to that, so it's the, the three keys to the left of the space bar, space bar. If you hold option to that, it's saying go back in assistant editor. So if you have both editors open, the standard editor and the assistant editor, you can go back in either one of them depending on whether or not you hold option. And the only way I never realized that the only way that. I knew that you could do that is by looking in the menu and holding down option to see the additional keyboard shortcuts. I never knew that that if you're in the menu and you hit down hit the modifier keys it actually shows you a different set of things. TIL. Yep. Does that work in all of the different uh I only use this in Xcode, but I wouldn't be surprised. I know it works. Oh, wow. Other things work in Mac. Uh, like if you hold down option and click on like your Wi-Fi thing in the menu bar, you'll get like additional details about like what channel your Wi-Fi network is on and uh, things like that. And I think you have the similar thing for, yeah, for volume, you get, uh, you can switch devices that way. Um, there's a few different ways you can sort of get advanced info by just by holding an option and clicking on things in your menu bar. I'm in Chrome and doing that, and it's it's showing me different menu options when I hit option and when I. That's, that's funny, really I just cool. Did the same thing. <laughs> now that I think about it, that makes sense because I remember back in my my one OSX development thing, you you kind of when you're creating the menu, you just kind of define all of the modifiers and what they do, and then the, um, the you know the framework fig takes care of actually building the the menu and all that. So it makes sense that it would. It would just hook up all that stuff for free for you, if, as long as you're using whatever uh, NS menu bar or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. Another thing you can do is uh, assign your own keyboard shortcuts in Xcode. Uh, so uh, if you hit Command, Comma in any Mac app, it will open up Preferences. And then you go over to the Key Bindings tab, and it will show you everything that's there. And you can search. And then for things that don't have an entry, you can add your own keyboard shortcut to that, provided you can uh, find a free one. Uh, so one of, the, one of the ones that I find that I need a lot is if I'm looking at a storyboard or a nib on a laptop monitor, I usually am running this full screen and I've got 
the navigator open on the left and the assistant editor, sorry, the inspector pane on the right and the designer surface. And then there's this additional pane. I don't know what you call this one, but it contains all of your interface builder objects. So your view controllers and all the views, and it's it's just a hierarchical view of the visual designer. And you can collapse that by clicking on this little button in the lower left-hand corner of the design surface. And that button is, you can assign a keyboard shortcut to collapsing that list, but it's not there by default. So you just have to find something that, you know, some contorted twist of fingers that uh, will not conflict with another command. What do you use? I haven't figured out a good one for this one yet, but I've been thinking about it. Uh, okay. Interesting. A thing that a lot of people don't know is um, the key bindings are, a lot of them are match uh, Emacs code bindings. In fact, that goes out through the entire OS. So if you're familiar with Emacs, Control-A, Control-E works. I use Control-D all the time. And remap your Control key to, or your Caps Lock key to Control. Makes it a lot easier to, to do those Emacs shortcuts. Yeah, that's what I've done. And and I've I've seen the same thing. It also uh holds true for most shell prompts. Um, right. it, it's it's pretty interesting how pervasive the Emacs key commands are. And some of them you'll find the control whatever works, and in some cases they've modified it to command, so it's command something will do something similar. So it just depends on which program you're in and, and how far they've they've taken that. So are there any other tricks? Any other things that Make your life easier in Xcode. Um, if if you highlight some code, a lot of times it's uh, since the indentation in Xcode is a little bit more complicated than what it would be in other languages. Because typically, with a long method call, you will hit line breaks between each parameter and then line up the colons. And um, if you just select any amount of code and hit Control I, it will re-indent that selection, uh, including to lining up the colons. And uh, that works pretty darn well for blocks and long method names or method calls or, or whatever. The only case where I really despise Xcode's indentation is on the collection literals, like uh, a dictionary where instead of typing like NS dictionary, dictionary with objects and keys, uh, you pass in at curly brace and you define them similar to how you would define a Ruby hash. You do at curly brace, and then you have uh, key equals or key colon value, comma key colon value. The way it does the indentation for these things is just it makes no sense at all. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what they were thinking. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I actually need to file a radar on that, and that brings me to uh, something that I think everybody should should run on their uh, machine. It's called an an app called Quick Radar, and Quick Radar. I think it's ninety nine cents in the Mac App Store. But basically, uh, it allows you to quickly file a radar, which is a bug. Um, this is the only way, or your your best way of getting some of these uh, gripes or pain points uh, to somebody who works on the team. And if you talk to any of the developer evangelists, they'll tell you, stop complaining on Twitter. If you, like, file a radar first and tell everybody about it so they can file their own radars if they agree. And if 100,000 people filed the same radar, then can be pretty certain that Apple's going to pay attention to it, at least respond to it. If they may say, oh, this is by design or we're not going to fix this or whatever, but at least they're hearing the feedback. And if they hear it enough, then they might say, hey, you know what? This would be easy to fix. Let's just go ahead and fix it. So filing a radar, unfortunately, requires you to get in a time machine and go back to like 1997 <laughs> and, and uh, use uh, this really awful web interface. Um, <laughs> I think it only works in Safari. Um, sometimes I have issues in Chrome, and it's just anyway, it's a it's a pain. So what Quick Radar does is it gives you a little Mac app, and it lets you fill in all the fields that you would normally fill on the website, and it has checkboxes to send these to Twitter app.net, send it to Open Radar, which is a uh, open source clone of Radar that's public and allows people to post radars that they filed so that other people can easily dupe them, and if you do that, you can just uh, post the issue once, it'll post it to all four places, app.net, radar, open radar, and Twitter. And then if anybody wants to dupe it, they can, in quick radar, say file a duplicate, type in the original radar number, and it will go fetch the details of that and fill it in for you. Uh, so that's a really good way of doing that. So I'm going to file a radar on this indentation bug with collection literals. That's awesome. 
Another useful shortcut is uh, Control Command Up will switch between your .h and .m file. Huh. I use that a lot. Yeah, that's one of those ones that you get so used to it that you kind of you forget that people don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. So um, another common thing that you can use to get around some of the sort of simplistic code completion you get with Xcode is uh, snippets, and the snippets are actually pretty good. Uh, if you have a block of code, let's say something like getting a documents directory, which uh, once you've typed it a dozen times, you, you'll remember what it is, but nobody remembers or thinks for the first time, oh, I'm going to type NS search paths for directories and domains and pass in NS user domain mask and NS document directory. I mean, nobody remembers that. And so uh, I have a snippet that I just type docster and it will paste in the two lines of code in order to get the documents directory. And so once you've looked up the code and you've written it one time, you can just select that code and drag it over into the code snippet library in the inspector pane and then give it a name. And um, I have a bunch of these things like uh, dispatching async with, a, with another dispatch async to get back on the main thread. I have one for marking uh, a section. So when you do pragma mark in a file, you can give it a name, something like UI table view delegate methods. And then in that uh, control six method pop-up menu, you'll actually see those names along with the divided section. So it's a nice way to keep things tidy inside of your class. But typing hash pragma mark dash, you know, you do this in basically every file you write. So I have a snippet called mark that does that for me. And it's just a quick expansion of that. I'm trying to think of other ones that I use. Uh, you can do substitution. So like you can tab across tokens in the snippet. So if you need to fill out a few things, like for instance, if you wanted to do like a snippet for a property, you could say prop tab and then have it fill in the, the modifier, either strong or weak or whatever, and the type. So you could do basically whatever you want to make your workflow a little bit faster. Is that the same mechanism that if I, you know, you do alloc and init thing where you just type in alloc and hit tab and it kind of gives you a generic? Yeah, exactly the same thing. You can tell that you're hitting a snippet when... Well, Alec doesn't actually do it. That's not a built-in one. I'm trying to think of what a built-in one is. Uh, let me go to one. So when you define one of these, so the, here's one core data fetch with a predicate. And some of these don't have completion shortcuts. You just have to drag them from the code snippet library over. But if you give one of these a, uh, a snippet, so here's one that I've done, string with format, and that one is SWF. And so I use that all the time. So then I type SWF and Xcode shows me the completion, like the IntelliSense, and the icon next to it looks like the code snippet curly braces. And so that's how you know you're about to expand a snippet. So is expanding a snippet kind of like text expander for the rest of your Mac? Yeah, it's very much like that, except I don't, I'm sure text expander supports this. I mean, I use it, but being able to define the tokens. So like when I do string with format, there's two things mm -hmm. I need to fill in, the string itself and the parameters that I want to substitute in the string. And so those are two tokens. And so I hit SWF, enter, and then it puts the focus on the string portion. And I just type my string and then I hit tab to go to the next one. And I just start typing my parameters. Uh, so I'm not sure if text expander does that. Is there an easy way to import and export these things? If I remember correctly, you have to like copy and paste <laughs> some magical files. Uh, no, there's no easy way to do that. Um, I looked at a way of, of uh, sharing these between machines because you can like install them easily, but it's not easy to just like symlink a folder. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's probably room for some open source library out there for you to say, oh, I want that snippet and let me just type a command, kind of like a, a CocoaPod <laughs> thing but for your Xcode system. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think it's the same with, you can kind of, I guess one one level up from snippets is the like the file templates. So if you the the, file, the normal kind of when you hit like file new or I guess command new or whatever to make a new file, you can actually make it. So you know it says like Cocoa Touch. Do you want to make a Objective C class and Objective C category all that stuff? You can customize those and add your own ones. So if you're doing if you're using Kiwi for testing, you can add one for Kiwi that kind of thing. But again, like if you want to get those into to actually do that, you have to kind of go splunking around in some crazy folder in, inside of your system in order to, to put that stuff together. Now, if you wanted to, could you build these snippets or uh, file templates into a plugin? 
I don't think that plugins will work by installing other files, but I think that there's, I mean, we're like a shell script away from reusing, uh, downloading and reusing um, snippets. I don't think it's it's that hard of a problem to solve. I just don't think anybody's ever done it. I know that some people have posted their snippets online, but that ends up being sort of a, a manual approach. The snippets that you define yourself should have a name, like that it's descriptive, but then when you install it, it will it copies it into a specific folder with uh, like a unique identifier as the name. So you, there's some separation there. So I was just Googling around and I saw that the inimitable Luke Redpath, who is like the most pros- prodigious, is that the right word? I don't know. Uh, prolific open source guy I know in iOS and Ruby has a, a gem called Xcode Snippets. Oh yes, I'm. <laughs> I actually used this. I totally forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I will probably remember as soon as we stop recording. But there is a reason why this is only kind of half the battle, okay. uh, but it's super useful. So if you download a snippet, or if you want to back up your snippets and use them on another machine, this this is a good tool to to do it with. It would be cool to integrate this with uh, with GitHub in the same way as I guess CocoaPods and stuff does. So you could just say, like. Snippet install GitHub username slash GitHub. Oh yeah, that, that would be cool. Yeah. Well, he hasn't done anything for two years, so maybe I should send him a pull request. It sounds like he just volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that out, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, if if you don't, maybe maybe one of our listeners will. Yeah, that would be even more exciting. This is an opportunity for some lucky listener to dip their toes into the wonderful world of open source. Awesome. So, any other uh, tips, tricks, ideas? There's one that trips up everyone. When you bring in a, a third-party library or something that doesn't support Arc, you need to go into your build faces where it compiles those and set the compile options for those files. And at first glance, it seems like you have to go and select each one at a time and put in dash F, no option, see Arc. But you can actually select all of them at one time and then hit enter and then a little um, field will pop up and then you can type it in once and hit enter again and it'll set it for all of them at once. Here's another thing that's not really a tips and tricks thing but just a general kind of thing that's worth doing is is spending a little bit of time trying to grok like targets, schemes, workspaces, projects, all like the the, the, the bizarre, well not bizarre, they the rich domain model of Xcode. <laughs> I love how you had turned around on that one. That's yeah, awesome. I didn't like. I, I spent. I, I still don't get it, and I've I've spent more time than I think a lot of people trying to figure this stuff out because you know I have this open source tool that integrates with Xcode projects. So I've been trying to figure out a way to do that in a painless way. It is very sophisticated in some ways. It's also very confusing. Just there's a lot of words that all kind of sound like they're the same thing, like project, target, scheme workspace, all those things. Oh, uh, config as well. There's another one. Basically, any kind of generic word that you can think of is in there somewhere. Um, there's, a, it, there's a good WWDC session on yeah. that from last year. If you go uh, take a look at the videos, um, I think it has like understanding Xcode targets, workspaces, and schemes or something like that. Yeah. And I, once, you, once you do kind of get some of the get your head around it that you it is pretty powerful you can do some some pretty clever stuff with it if you if you need to in terms of you know building different different things for different versions of your of the OS and and stuff like that it's also very uh, useful to understand that stuff if you want to build from the command line at some point you're going to butt, butt up against it probably uh, one thing i do a lot is uh, if you hold down option it and highlight over a symbol and click on it, it will tell you what header that's defined in and give you a description of that symbol. Um, and that will work for um, anything that has documentation, including like AF HTTP request, AF networking, for instance. Uh, but like all the built-in types, like NS mutable array, it'll tell you a quick summary and give you a link to the header file and the class reference documentation. And then if you hold down command and click on it, it will take you straight to that header file. And sometimes that's super useful because the headers contain valuable comments, uh, like perhaps engineering comments that aren't in the docs. So if you hit command option and click on a symbol, it will open up the header in the assistant editor so it doesn't take you away from where you are, uh, which is nice. And so then at your, your focus is still in the left-hand pane, 
And once you're done referring to that window, you can just hit Command Enter to go back to, to to close the assistant editor and go back to the standard editor. So I use that uh, a lot to just refer to things without losing my place of where I was. Yeah, that's super handy. Some, sometimes even if I just want to see like what the types are of a of a of a method, I'll just open up the header just because it's sometimes quicker than actually opening up the docs and reading through the docs. If you're using uh, core data. Uh, there's some uh, interesting flag you can set. Uh, you need to go to the, the scheme editor, which is, there's a little selector that has your app name and what device it's running on, and you can go to edit scheme from there. A shorter way to do that is to hold option and click on the run button, but that is very non-intuitive. Option run will actually edit the active scheme. And then you go to the run um, action, and then on the arguments tab, there's a thing that says arguments passed on launch, and you can pass in uh, dash com dot apple dot core data dot SQL debug one, and I will paste this in our window so we can add this to the show notes. And uh, what that'll do is it'll log all of the SQL statements that are sent by core data, because otherwise you're not going to see these. And those can be super enlightening for you to realize that, hey, nothing is being saved at all. And I had no idea. <laughs> Now, um, if I remember right, core data is just a wrapper around SQLite? Uh, no, it's actually, you know, it's a, a hand wavy. There is no database. You, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there it, is no a, spoon. It's not an ORM. That's another way to put it. It's more of an object uh, model manager. Object um, graph. And it fulfills, yeah, an object, and that's a good way to put it. It's an object graph manager. And those graphs can be persisted uh, to disk or wherever. Most of the time, on iOS, in fact, uh, everybody uses SQLite as the underlying store, but you don't have access to do database-y things like batch operations or whatever. It's it's very much a uh, its own interface into uh, persisted or managed objects. That said, it is pretty powerful. We, we certainly should do a show on it. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll put that in the list. Probably cover it within the next few weeks. Do any of you guys use the tabs in Xcode? I hate the Xcode tab behavior. Yeah, I and, tried it. In every for other a while. editor, <laughs> in every other editor, pretty much, like for instance, Sublime or TextMate, you hit Command T and it lets you complete a file, and then you hit Enter and it opens up a new tab with that file. And if you close that tab, then it's gone. Uh, but then you go back to the file you were at before. In Xcode, changing the, if you hit Command Shift O to open quickly, and open a file, it replaces the code that you're looking at with this new file. And to get back to it, you have to hit Control, Command, left arrow. So if you hit Command T to open up a new tab, it opens up the same exact file in a new tab, which is just not super helpful. And I think, <laughs> you know, the way the way that tabs are supposed to be used in Xcode are not how most people think of tabs. So typically you will have a tab that is your active code that you're working on, and then you might have another tab for like uh, interface builder. And so you can do things like uh, so let's say I, I have a tab, and I can actually rename it. So if you double-click on the file name in the tab, I can say I want this to be my designer tab, which is going to have my storyboard in it. And in the storyboard, I want to make sure that I have the assistant, I keep calling it the assistant editor, the right-hand pane. What is that thing called? The inspectors. Inspector. All right. So I want to have the inspectors open. I want to have the navigator open. And I, I want to have my debug window at the bottom closed. And that is going to be my designer tab. And so then I can I can just always have that tab ready to go with that configuration. And when I go back to my code tab, perhaps the inspector pane is already closed for me because I don't really need that in code. It's useless. And then I might have a third tab that is my debugging tab. And if you go into Xcode's preferences and you go to the behaviors tab in preferences, you can generate all kinds of rules for, hey, when I start running, I want to switch over to the debug tab. And uh, I, my, my head doesn't really work this way. I've seen multiple presentations where people demonstrate this behavior, and I just, it's not something I use. It kind of reminds me of, um, I think in Eclipse, they, had this, they have this thing called perspectives or something like that. And it's basically yeah. it's like different modes that you're in, right? So I'm in debug mode, I'm in, like, I mean, basically what you're saying. But it's, it is not something that I think anyone would associate with tabs. I think that's the the... The thing is, it's like the the thing that throws me off is, or that threw me off is like that's not a tab. That's a totally different you know mode that I'm working in. Uh, it just happens to be that I access it by hitting the little tab thing or 
most of the time actually if you're like a superpower user you just automatically go into it like you're saying like when you start debugging or whatever or when you start running all right well this has been really interesting for me because like i said i'm not super familiar yet with xcode and so uh, a lot of these things are things that i'm uh, i've i've not quite run into yet so uh Really quickly, do you have tips for for folks who are just kind of getting started and getting familiar with Xcode? I mean, you've said learn all the shortcuts or as many as you can, you know, things like I that. Think, I think there's a good uh, Pragmatic Programmers video that they put out, a screencast that shows all the shortcuts and goes over them. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can find a link to that. Any other ideas? So I have uh, one more tip that I use quite a bit. Um, oftentimes you... You can click where the line numbers are. You can click there to set a breakpoint. And then when you run, the breakpoint will be hit. Uh, but sometimes if you're if you're running in something like a self-arrow and index path method, which is going to be called perhaps like 20 times in order to render the, the screen, uh, and you may just want to see how many times is this code being hit without having to sort of stop there every time and hit run again and stop there and hit run. Um, a lot of times I will click on it and I will right-click or two-finger tap on the breakpoint itself and say edit breakpoint. And once you're editing the breakpoint, you can add actions to it. So you can have it say things or play a sound. And so I'll say play a sound and you pick one of the sounds and then you check the box automatically continue after evaluating. So it means it won't actually stop on this breakpoint. It's just going to play a sound. And so one of the areas where I've used this before is I wanted to know every time my core data managed object context saved. And so I set a breakpoint in the uh, in the method where I call save, and then I ha- set all these settings to enable the sounds and then run the application and play around with it. And then every time I hear the ding, I know it's saving. That's uh, awesome. So, so it's a really cool trick. You can do all kinds of things like that. Uh, one of the things that we were debugging uh, recently was a, a table view bug where the number of rows in section was not what we expected it to be, but it happened uh, really quickly. And if I stopped on the breakpoint to to inspect the problem, the problem went away because it was a race condition. And so I had the breakpoint uh, say the uh, number of rows. So in the uh, number of rows in section method, I assign the number of rows that I'm about to return to a variable. I set a breakpoint to say that variable like using the max say command. So it actually would say six, seven. And, and then I just run my application and, and then it would not stop on the breakpoint. It would just speak uh, the results. That is one power feature of Xcode that I make fun of Xcode a lot, but it is pretty amazing that you can do that. I don't think I've seen that in any other IDE that you can have it talk to you about the variables in your program. Another tip I would suggest is on the, uh, on the navigator pane on the left, there is a breakpoint inspector um, it is the sixth one, so command six will actually show it right away. Um, so even if it's closed, you can hit command six and go straight to breakpoints. And at the bottom of there is a plus to add a, a new breakpoint, and you can add an exception breakpoint here. And I would just add this in all your projects, and then right-click on it and say share breakpoint. And what that'll do is it'll add it to the Xcode project file instead of your user data file. Uh, your user data file you typically won't check into source control because that contains like your tab structure and other ways that you work, but your coworkers might uh, work a different way. But you definitely want to share things like this all exception breakpoint. What this will do for you is uh, oftentimes on a fresh project with a new developer running Objective-C for the first time and they they call a method that doesn't exist or or they release an object and it crashes, a lot of times it will just crash in the main method and won't give you any detail with what happened. If you have this exception breakpoint, it will halt the execution of the program at the spot of the error, so it goes straight to the line that caused the problem. And the only time I ever turn this off is if I'm working with, sometimes uh, AV Foundation will throw exceptions as part of its normal control flow, and Core Data has been known to do the same thing occasionally, so sometimes I will disable this by clicking on the little blue tag arrow thing to disable it uh, temporarily, but generally I run with that on on every project. Cool. So you taught us about musical breakpoints. Have you ever forgotten to turn it, turn that kind of thing off and have it talk to people? I mean, it's only happening when I'm debugging an Xcode, so it's not uh, oh, okay. something that comes from the iPhone. It comes from your Mac. But, oh, I uh, see. 
Oh, because it's in the breakpoint. The yeah. breakpoint triggers. The, okay. Uh, you know, since we're talking about these sort of debugging tools in the simulator, if you run an application, you go to the simulator, if you check the menus out, there's some debug menus and uh, so some of them will uh, simulate a memory warning, which is super important for you to test. Others will um, color off-screen rendered images, which can impact performance of your own drawing. And then uh, color blended layers is a really important one to look yeah. look for. Uh, blended layers are where you have a transparent object on top of another object, like uh, rounded corners or, or some way um, of having this happen, where in order for the OpenGL underlying OpenGL graphics hardware to render this thing onto the screen, it's got to create a texture, which is a rectangle. And it's got to fill in all the pixels of that rectangle. And if your button has rounded corners on it, it's got to composite that with whatever's underneath it in order to to do the rounded corners. And uh, the process of compositing uh, is really slow. And uh, on an iPhone 5, this has become less of an issue. But uh, in order to get 60 frames a second when you're scrolling, uh, it's important to just uh, squeeze out every bit of graphics performance you can. So knowing when you're accidentally using transparency is a huge thing. And by turning on color blended layers in the simulator, it will t- color everything on your screen red or green, depending on if it's being uh, composited or blended with the layer behind it. And uh, some of those things are completely fixable by just turning on opaque views or you know, redesigning a cell or whatever. Uh, so that you can minimize that level of uh, blending. The other one that's up there as well is the misaligned, misaligned uh, images or whatever it's called. That's yeah. That's really helpful if you have like it looks like stuff is blurry. That's when you're rendering across pixels. So you're basically asking the iPhone to, to like render a a box at like from zero point two points to to five point seven points. Then it's gonna kind of do anti-aliasing or whatever the right word for that is. It's gonna I guess it's gonna do blending to. To render it, and it makes it just makes things look blurry, and and it will that'll just highlight highlight when you're doing that to help you figure out why things are blurry. It's a good way to drive your users completely nuts, or drive your <laughs> developer completely nuts if they don't know what why it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> when I first started doing iOS development, I I swore that one of the the guys that was testing my app was crazy because he's like, it looks really blurry. I'm like, how can, it's not blurry, it's pixels. <laughs> but he was right, and I was wrong. Yeah, you also have to be careful when you're setting like a, a frame of an elephant. An, an elephant. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're setting the frame of an element, you can set the frame or you can set the center point and the size. And if you set the center point to something and then that thing has uh, an even uh, width or height, then the frame can end up being on a half pixel boundary. And uh, the only way that it can do that with physical pixels is to take a look at the colors on either side of it and then blend them for the color for the edge that it can't actually that doesn't line up on a pixel boundary and so we call those half pixels and that's what causes it to look blurry and well, I guess uh, on, is that true it's probably not true on retina because huh? retina's got two physical pixels for one point right so sometimes you you, got, you definitely have to look at it on retina sure. and on and on a non-retina device and you can do the same in the simulator it should look uh, appropriate because they're scaled so a retina, you know, a retina iPad does not fit on my MacBook Pro screen, but uh, but it's good to test these things so you can actually take a look and see if it's lining up or not. Speaking of things not fitting on screen, so I do. This is kind of embarrassing a little bit or weird, but I do all of my development on an 11-inch MacBook Air, and pretty much nothing fits on that screen. When you're running stuff on the simulator, Command One, Two, and Three will resize the simulator scale it up or down. So that's really, really helpful when you need to um, see the whole thing scaled down or when you want to see just the bit in, in real size, in you know, in in per pixel size. Command I think it's command one, two, three. Yep. All right, well, we need to get into the picks. I, I'm sorry to cut this off, but um I, I have to wrap this up in time to get lunch and then do another podcast. So I'm gonna make Rod go first this week. All right. First off, I'm going to pick a project that uh, I think was announced this week. It's called Alcatraz. It is a Xcode package manager, so it helps you manage all the Xcode plugins that are out there and install them and whatever. So it looks looks pretty interesting. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I thought I would pick it since it goes in line with the show. Have you been reading my pick list? No. (laughs) That's why I got to go first. Good thing. 
And then I saw Oblivion this weekend, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So that's my second pick. Yeah, it was a good movie. Ben, what are your picks? So I was going to pick Alcatraz, but Rod beat me to it. I just recorded a screencast on that today, so uh, that should be coming out on Thursday. And I also saw uh, this cool product. It's a Belkin Thunderbolt dock. And uh, I think I'm going to pick this thing up, but basically it allows you to plug in one cable into your MacBook, uh, a Thunderbolt cable. And then on the other end, you can put audio cables, USB. Uh, you have two Thunderbolt on that side. So you can plug in basically all of your cables for using your Mac at a workstation. It's a little pricey. It's $300, but I really hate the cable dance that I do basically every day uh, from work and home. So it's basically uh, a docking station that plugs into yes. Thunderbolt. Yes. And then my last pick will be, uh, I use this thing. You guys talked about remapping caps lock to control. I actually uh, remap caps lock key to this super key combo. And uh, I will link to this. It's uh, a blog post by Brett Terpstra. And uh, it's a sort of this weird amalgamation of, of hacks. But basically, um, there's, a, there's these F1 through F whatever keys. There's an F15 key that is sort of unused by everybody uh, on a full-size keyboard. And so... <laughs> I was going to say, have you seen my keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, uh, the F15 key is sort of unused. And uh, what, you, what I have is PC keyboard hack uh, changing uh, caps lock key to F15. And there's also uh, another thing outlined in there where it will remap uh, control, option, command, and shift as a modifiers, all four of those. And then at that point in time, once you're holding all four of those down, the whole keyboard is your playground for keyboard shortcuts. And so what you do is uh, enable Better Touch Tool, which is another app. And in Better Touch Tool, there's all kinds of things you can do. Right now I have it as an application launcher primarily, so Finder right now is Caps Lock F. Anywhere I am in, in Mac, I can hit Caps Lock F to open up Finder. M for my mail client, B for my browser, X for Xcode, E for editor, T for terminal. And that uh, saves me from doing the command tab dance like a thousand times a day. Uh, so I really like that. And I also have cam uh, Caps Lock semicolon to show desktop. And so I really like this combo. So I will link to that as well. That's way cool. I've got mine mapped to control as well. So, Pete, what are your picks? My first pick is the time duration two minutes, uh, which is how long it took WWDC to sell out this time around. <laughs> um, I was actually just Googling to try and find out an exact number. I don't know. If I, think, I think I saw 70 seconds somewhere. Okay. In that case, I revise my pick. <laughs> are you going this year? How many uh, of you guys I'm, are going to WWDC? I'll be going. I was lucky enough to get a ticket. I'm not going. I um I took it as a sign that I knew that it was going to be crazy selling out so quickly because they pre-announced it, and I took it as a sign that I should spend some time out in the outdoors. So I, I already planned a backpacking trip for that week. So I'm going to skip the the WWDC craziness. But I will. I live in San Francisco, so I'll I'll do all of the unofficial WWDC craziness. And and I'm not going either. Awesome. I hesitated, I guess, for about seventy seconds too long. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm picking, I'm picking that time duration, whatever one it is, just because I think it's actually pretty cool. That seems like this year round, because it's sold out so quickly, there's been a, a, a like an interesting kind of alt thing cropping up around it. So there's at least two alternative conferences, and um, I kind of like that. I like the idea of uh, of it being more than just Apple, um, but that's because I'm a you know contrarian type person. So 70 seconds. And then um, my other pick is uh, a book called Refactoring to Patterns. I just thought of this book because we were talking about refactoring earlier on. So this is a pretty deep, pretty uh, weighty tome um, that describes um, how you can kind of take existing code and use refactoring to move that code towards various different patterns. So it's kind of an advanced book, but it's, it's really, really good. If you're, into, if you're into patterns and you're into refactoring, then it's a good one. Uh, and then on a less weighty, serious note, um, my third pick is uh, a Tumblr called Reasons My Son Is Crying, which has been doing rounds a little bit now, so probably everyone's already seen it. But as someone with a young child of about the age that he just randomly cries at stuff, I think this is pretty hilarious. Awesome. Can I have a last minute pick? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, since you were talking about Tumblr, I was reminded of uh, text from Xcode. 
Uh, This was uh, timely for this episode. That's perfect. It it is pretty awesome. So this latest one says, uh, it's like a conversation on an iPhone between you and Xcode. And and you say, put a breakpoint on line 343. And Xcode says, no. He says, seriously, put it on 343. No. Uh, anyway, it's it's funnier than me reading it to you. Uh, <laughs> check out that blog. Yeah, the first time I, I, someone showed me that, I spent like the next half hour going through and finding, reading all the old ones as well. All right. So uh, my picks this week are uh, basically, I, I have two picks. And I got, I got really burned out after my last contract. Um, I've picked up a couple of contracts since then and things are getting better. But I just, I, I love to code and I just couldn't bring myself to sit down and actually write any code, um, which totally sucked for me. But uh, one thing that I found that really helped was uh, uh, just having a whiteboard in my office. I, I actually went and just wrote down all the stuff that I had to do because part of my burnout was overwhelm and uh, just kind of got my head around all of the stuff that, that I'm doing and what I need to get done for it. And uh, anyway, I feel much better about it now. So my first pick is a whiteboard. And I'll actually put a link to the poor man's whiteboard that I have set up in my office because I didn't go buy a $150 office whiteboard. I went to Home Depot and I bought this, uh, I, I forget what they call it, shower board or something. Anyway, I'll put a link to all that in the show notes. The other pick that I have is StarCraft Two, and that's the other way that I overcame my burnout was just by checking out of reality for an hour or so at a time. And so um, when I'm really just not feeling like doing anything what i do is i i set a task for myself so we have the ruby rogues parlay list for example for ruby rogues and uh i was like well if i get through all 70 emails that i'm behind on which was about a week's worth of email um you know and reply to the ones i want to reply to and be involved in the list the way i want to then i can play a level on starcraft and so I did that. I put, you know, I'd put in an hour's worth of work on a feature for my, one of my clients. And then I'd go and I'd play StarCraft. And it made both the coding and uh, everything else that I was doing more enjoyable. So um, I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks. Thanks. And we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>